Don't put your biases on markets. Who cares what you like? Stop looking at everything through your eyes. Your perspective is not that of the entire world. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Hebercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I am one of your hosts, Dan Habercost, along with Mason McDonald. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how to win, how to succeed in the current market. Uh, but before we do that, Mason, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Business is going well. I think the strategies that we're talking about today is something that I've started implementing in my business and something that you've been doing for a little bit and are expanding on. So it's going to be fun to have a conversation and I think really useful for a lot of people to figure out how to succeed with the way the real estate market really is right now. Sure, sure. And, and there are a lot of factors that got us to this position today. It's it's October 11th, 2023, and I'm sitting here in Del Mar, California, and I think this area really illustrates the problem. So I was looking at a few different cities out here with a realtor and under 2 million between Solano Beach, Del Mar, oh, and there was one or two other suburbs we were looking at collectively. There were eight homes on the market in the entirety of, it was four sub areas like that, which is crazy. And that illustrates the problem of lack of inventory. And with everything you hear about with the real estate market in the news that a housing crash is coming and inventory rates are going to skyrocket whenever the housing crash comes. That is just not happening at all. And I think that we can kind of go back in time a little bit to figure out how did we get to this point? It's the end of the year in 2023. Why are we talking about inventory and constraints? Why are, why are there issues? Why can people still not find a home even if interest rates are up and price should go down. And I think we can start maybe about 15 years ago, if you want to, Dan, of in the housing crash of 2007 to 2009, um, in 2008 specifically, what caused a lot of the constraints that we're seeing in inventory on the market that stemmed from back then? Well, the biggest one is a lot of builders went out of business and the ones that didn't were uh, a bit scarred from that, right? We all have a recency bias. It's the only, gosh, I want to say in the last hundred years, other than the Great Depression, that's the only major, major drop in, in house U.S. home prices. And so after 2008, builders weren't building. I mean, there's charts all over the place that illustri illustrate this quite well, but inventory wasn't being created via new construction like it normally is. And Along with that, you, me, and every other millennial was growing up and, and coming to the point of being at prime home buying age right now. So that was one big factor that played into a lack of inventory today. You're right. And the typical home buying age is about 33 years old. So if you're in your 20s and you haven't bought a home yet, don't feel bad. Uh, most people won't buy a home until they're in their early 30s or mid 30s. And as this population ages and there wasn't the new inventory because people don't necessarily want to move into the the older home. Uh, you know, renters are going to stay renting for longer and the cost of financing now makes it so where it's it's harder to build too. So I think beyond, beyond the lack of construction that happened for uh, the past handful of years, we got behind as a country 
And now that we're ready to catch up, you have to look at kind of one of the next big changes that happened. And that was the COVID-19 pandemic. And whenever the pandemic happened, there were a few things that happened from a macro to a micro level is a lot of businesses just shut down in general. Everyone was scared. Everyone was inside. Everyone wasn't going out and doing stuff anymore. And then there was a supply chain crisis of a total lack of materials uh, where it would take 12 months to get windows in and cost of lumber went through the roof where you went and looked at a, I don't know, six foot by eight foot sheet of plywood at Home Depot and it was $50. And with the material crisis that happened, building also kind of slowed down as well, which also contributed to an inventory crisis because of the lower mortgage rates that we were seeing during the pandemic. Yeah. All of that came together with a massive amount of additional supply to our currency coming in. And so interest rates are almost nothing for a long, they were almost nothing, right? You have a lot of cash in the pockets of, of Americans and there's already a lack of homes being built. So combine those three things and suddenly you have a pretty severe housing shortage and, and all that. Also, there's the labor shortage, right? Along with just the actual supply of materials, it's hard to find people that will work. Uh, have you you had issue with that your own business Mason? oh my gosh it's the the biggest frustration in the world and when you look at who is either working on homes or building on homes you think about the general contractor and the laborers and that's an aging population um, along with the tradesmen that are starting to retire so there's a constraint on inventory of labor especially in small town america with my commercial building that i just got the change order last night and it came in double the budget and quadruple the time that we were expecting, which is, it sucks. Like it, it's painful, you know, and I'm going to try and figure out what I can do and get creative to go in and figure out my own labor force uh, solutions to it. So I don't have to deal with these people that are taking too long and costing so much money, but it's a crisis that everyone is experiencing. And then you think about how COVID contributed to this crisis. Everyone was inside schools essentially shut down and everyone thinks about the the public education system and higher education, like universities and colleges, but the tradesmen school and the trade schools, which there's been a decline in applications for trades positions for the past, I don't even know. I, I know the last date I looked at was 2020 to 2022, which was a significant decline. But during that time period, you think about the plumber, you think about the electrician, the general contractor, the HVAC tech, where it's an extraordinarily hands-on learning process and they weren't able to do it, which contributed to less people going to these schools, less people graduating from these schools, and less less new jobs or less applicants into these jobs that are in an aging bracket that are going away, and you can't build a home without these people. Yep. No, yeah. Even if you go the modular route, you still need your electrician to hook everything up, your, your plumber to hook everything up, depending on how exactly you have it done, but they're essential and it'll be interesting to see we don't need to go down this rabbit hole but i almost think for gen z being a, a specialized you know a hvac or plumber or electrician is going to end up coming back into uh into vogue because they're going to get paid well simple supply and demand there's such a need for them. i sure hope so because the data has not shown that there is an interest in gen z with with these careers and i hope for any gen z's Gen Zers that are listening to this or millennials or Gen Xers that are looking for a career change and 
you think about the human condition of it's so human to want to work with your hands. And if you're an electrician or a plumber and you move to a mountain town in Colorado, I guarantee you, you're going to be making six figures. And if you start your own company, I guarantee you, you could probably build to build it to a seven figure company in a few years. And your corporate W2 job working for the man as an analyst that you're making $60,000 a year for, your upward potential is only so high. And so when you're looking at your own business and if you're wanting to get involved in real estate, recognize that you have your own unique skill set and that there's jobs out there that doesn't, you, there's a lot of incentives to go get this education for free. Uh, regardless of any sunk, you know, sunk cost fallacy that you might be facing, having gone and gotten a bachelor's degree in something, uh, there's a huge constraint on the number of tradesmen and laborers out there, and you can make a lot of money doing it, and you will always have a job and a consistent, uh, consistent income from it. No, absolutely, uh, agreed strongly. But we've established why there's a lack of inventory, and from there course, creating inventory is the way to succeed in the current market. Now, one thing that's important to notate, this is going to vary a lot from market to market. So, you know, I referenced out here, Del Mar, Solano Beach, right? So Northern San Diego is very expensive. So 2 million or less, and, and you're in affordable housing for a lot of these markets. That's not the case in a lot of markets that I do business in. And you might be in Ohio or Florida where you can still buy housing in the 200. So, of course, adjust this to your market. But at the end of the day, creating inventory is the key. And so, Mason, what are some ways that you're doing this in your business right now and finding success and a lot of demand? Absolutely. Uh, I have currently got one project that I'm actively working on that is increasing inventory in a supply constrained market. And that is in Surprise, Arizona. Uh, we purchased a five acre lot and we are subdividing it. There is a lot more desire uh, for one acre lots. Uh, I don't know why that is. That's just what the data suggests. And by going in and from both a inventory perspective and then my own business perspective by going in and creating value simply by creating inventory where land, the land's not increasing. I'm not taking a five acre parcel and turning it into 10 acre parcel. I'm taking a five acre parcel and turning it into four 1.2 ish acre parcels. And that right there is increasing the value of the land by about $400,000 just by paying a couple grand for a subdivide land division survey. So by taking an area where I know that there's always going to be desire to live. People people move to Phoenix constantly. And as people are moving into Phoenix proper, they're going to start moving out uh, the people that have lived there for a long time. And they're going to want a little bit more space, which is why being able to create that inventory where there is data that suggests that there's demand for it through a relatively simple process is going to make me a lot of money in my business. Dan, what about you? What are you doing to create inventory in your markets that you're operating in? Sure. So I'll get to that in one second. There's just something you said that I want to pull out. You said, oh, in this specific area, one plus acre are really in demand. And that's the key. You've got to pull out what is it that everyone wants? Because if you create the wrong product that's not in demand for that market, whether it's the house that's too expensive or the piece of land that's too small or 
maybe it's not zoned right, right? You, you're you're going to fail here. So you've got to take the time to learn your market. And on a second note, I was just in Arizona at my uncle's house and his cactuses had died because it got so hot there this summer that the water inside them boiled and there were dead cactuses everywhere. So why people are moving there, don't ask me, but people are. <laughs> you, you haven't experienced Anyways. an Ohio winter in a while, it sounds like, so... That's true. I've gotten spoiled and I hope to never experience one again. <laughs> Back to the topic at hand. In my business, the primary way that I'm creating new inventory is through new construction. So Pueblo, Colorado, Pueblo West specifically, there are a huge amount of investors up the front range in Colorado Springs and Denver, and even some from California out here are buying there now who want cash flowing multifamily. And for them, you know, as a six cap is great. Six or seven cap is great. And so, because their point of reference is very different. And so knowing that sort of product is in demand, we're building a bunch of duplexes down there. And I've been doing some single family homes. We only have one in process right now, but single family homes that are very entry level. Again, that's key. I'm not going to go build half a million dollar spec house in Pueblo, Colorado. Out here, that is the cost of a piece of land. However, there, there aren't a lot of buyers that can afford a half a million dollar house. So on the new construction, single family side, we're doing just simple 322, 15-ish, 100 square foot. Pueblo West, that'll be about 380-ish down in Colorado City, which is part of Pueblo County. That'll be 350-ish. And then the duplexes are 321 each side. And uh, those will be 575, 80-ish. And uh, rents are high down there, so you'll be able to actually get a return on that. So that's what I'm doing primarily in my business, to actually create new and I think, uh, which it's so wise to be able to, uh, a few things I want to unpack that, that you said where don't project whatever your biases are onto whatever market you're in, have the data suggest, have the data show what that is, because for, for you and the product, the single family product that you're building in Pueblo West, Colorado wouldn't work on that lot that you and I talk about, or that I talk about a lot to you in in Granby, Colorado, where it would be that mid-tiered semi-custom semi-custom home that would cost more like 400000 500000 to build that would then sell for a million dollars because that's what the data suggests. And I think that when you can have the data show you what the desirability is for, then you can really simply execute a business strategy where look in your market of... I have land in markets where homes sell in three days on market and land sells in 12 months on market. So by investing in land or flipping land out there, yeah, it's going to make money. It's going to have a great return. But if I were to be building on it, my return would take potentially the same amount of time, but would increase four to 10 times of what I'm making on a simple land flip. So creating inventory of what's desired in the market is really huge. And then I think kind of where I want to talk about this from a competition standpoint is you're going to have less competition. And I just had a conversation with this 45 minutes ago with a friend where in Colorado Springs, you look at what what the inventory available is, and it's really minimal. And if you look in certain markets in northern Colorado Springs, going into Monument and Black Forest and Glen Eagle area, where there's huge parcels of land, well, not huge, 35, 40, 50 acre parcels of land that have been sitting on the market for 150, 200, 300 days, where if you look at the cost 
per acre of land in this area. For a five acre parcel, it's $60,000. For a 35 acre parcel, it's more like thirty dollars to $30,000. So if you can go in and find the opportunity to create inventory where you can find deals on the market if you're just adding value in a different way that's desired by what the actual sales comps are suggesting is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and Mason means those bigger parcels are 25000 per acre as opposed to the 60000 per acre. So you buy, it's just buying wholesale versus buying one of something, right? Conceptually, it's the same thing. And so something you said there, I have to emphasize, don't put your biases on markets. Who cares what you like? This has been something I have, <laughs> it's really been drilled in my head because all these pretentious Coloradans don't want to go down to Pueblo. Uh, yet I've been down there making money for five years. It's been a great market because everyone turns up their nose at, at Pueblo. Who cares what you like or where you want to live? Where is their demand where you can go fulfill that demand and make a return, right? I, I won't specify, but there's a bunch of markets I've done business and I've done really well that I don't even want to visit there, let alone live there. But who cares what I want? That's not the purpose of my business. The purpose of my business is to make money. So yeah, stop looking at everything through your eyes. Your perspective is not that of the entire world. Exactly. And it's not just the market, specifically the product, because yep. tiny homes, I could never imagine living in them. I can never imagine living in a space the size of my study with a wife and dogs and kids. And there are tons of people that absolutely love it. There's a push for minimal minimalism. The idea of preferring a one-acre parcel to a five-acre parcel does not make sense in my head. The fact that it's almost worth the same amount of money for a five-acre parcel as a one-acre parcel doesn't make any sense to me, but neither does living in an apartment. And then you hear about the apartment owner that never has to worry about maintenance and never has to worry about landscaping or their neighbors judging them because they're not doing enough landscaping and all these other things and recognize there's hundreds of millions of people that live in the United States and Every single person is an individual. And so all you can do is look at the data and say, okay, this is what the data shows. This is how I'm going to operate my business. Yep. Full stop. I'm glad we made that point. That's really important. So Mason, beyond what you and I are doing, there are so many other ways you can do this. If you're a realtor, if you're a flipper, right? Taking the direct to seller strategy that we use in our land businesses and applying it to go find distressed housing rehab that housing and put it on the market, assuming it's the product that is in demand, you can make a lot of money that way. One of my buddies, the same one I'm building with is flipping houses like crazy right now. And he's sticking to entry level. And what do you know? He is doing phenomenally well flipping homes. Uh, there are other examples of that, but what are you seeing as far as other people within the real estate umbrella uh, making money, creating inventory? Yeah, I have seen... Um a lot of people not make a lot of money. I've seen a lot of slowdown in a lot of uh, realtors' businesses and lenders' businesses, but uh, luckily getting to network with some higher-level individuals, they are starting to approach their business differently and adapting, where the people that got into real estate in the past 20 years have seen a ton of different cycles. And so as a realtor, you need to look at where you, you've got so many people working any sort of deal. And the point I'm making is, once again, drawing from an anecdote that I heard 45 minutes ago, where this realtor sends out to his investors properties that are on the market that 
have the ability to get renovated and turned around and flipped, uh, selling to investors to flip the property. And by creating a product that is livable, they're adding inventory to the market. And those constraints that we've seen before or that we were talking about before, whether it was labor or materials or financing, the realtors that I'm seeing that are having success in this business are not just providing the home to the person or to the investor to flip or to the end buyer that's looking for that product. They are networking with the hard money lender. They are networking with the end end buyer financing person, the mortgage lender. They're networking with the builders and the contractors where they can not just sell, hey, here's a house you can flip. And they're like, perfect. I don't know anyone that can provide the money to me to flip it or to do the labor. And by being the person that is connecting the dots of all the different problems that we're, we're solving, those are the people that I'm seeing are extremely successful. Yeah. No, though, no, that, that's, that's a good point about adapting. Because if there's one thing that's already really clear to me, you know, I'm coming up on six years into this. Holy crap, things change all the time. If you want to pick one strategy and stick with not one strategy, but one way of accomplishing that strategy, if all you want to do is flip houses, that's fine. But you're going to have to uh, change how you're going about it, what product you're going after, how you're marketing to sellers, where you find all of that is constantly in flux. There's new competition. You know, just the land space alone has changed so much the last few years. It's crazy. Uh, so that's a great point you made there. And I wanted to emphasize that. Now, one other simple thing for realtors, for, for land, for really any product is just going direct to seller and finding those people that are really ready to sell that haven't listed. And so an easy example is that we got two lots in North Carolina, you know, really hot market in a specific neighborhood with zero lots for sale. So we're going to have the only ones for sale there. And so we are creating inventory that wasn't previously there. So if you're a realtor, you can do that, a flipper, really anything. You know, there's a specific market in Florida that ton of deals where there's endless single family lots for sale, but everyone, all the builders want duplex lots and there aren't a lot available. And a lot of the ones available are astronomically priced, like just higher and higher and higher. They're getting pushed up. And so if you can go get duplex lots there and price them in line with comps, they move like that. So there's a lot of ways to win in this market. Oh, yeah. And the direct-to-seller marketing tactic, and we, we've spoken about that at length on previous episodes and have an episode dedicated entirely to that, that if you are the person that can recognize what's going on in the market and extrapolate the details from this episode of it's not just the tradesmen and the contractors that are aging and wanting to get out of the business. It's the developers. It's the construction company that, or the the smaller scale construction company that bought a ton of land 15, 20 years ago that they're not, they're never going to build on it anymore, but it's been sitting off market forever. And yeah, it's going to take money to come in and put roads in and extend utilities, but it's out there. The inventory is available. Go drive around your community and look on the outskirts and see Pull up Onyx or Regrid or one of those apps that you can look at the parcels and say, oh, who is Dan H. Construction LLC and why do they own all this land that looks like it's overgrown and been sitting there forever? Of uh, I could go buy 30 or 40 lots at a discount and then if I have access to labor and the financing, I can create another 20 to 40 homes or whatever it is that I've made up in this scenario. So mm -hmm. recognize that whether... You're in the business of lending or labor or finding deals or funding deals. It's 
the inventory is out there. It just needs to be created through effective marketing on the acquisition side or seeing value in opportunities that other people are not seeing value in. Yeah, no, I think you you summarize that quite succinctly there. Uh, that's that's really it. It's pretty straightforward. It's just figuring out the nuances, the specifics of your market, and then deciding on a strategy. Any anything else you're seeing as far as strategies or in your business or anything else about this specific market that's worth commenting? I don't think so. I, I think what I hope the listeners hear is there is significant opportunity in the real estate market if you can do the stuff that we're saying. And if you feel like you are one component of that, of the lender, the access to materials, the access to labor, the access to deals, the manpower it takes to go through some of the paperwork and administrative burden of doing some of this work that we're talking about, the barriers to entry, reach out to either of us. We're always open to talk and chat about opportunities that we can make happen where I've got plenty of land that is primed to build on. Dan has plenty of land that's primed to build on. And there's tons of opportunities out there. If you can create inventory that is desirable in the market that you have chosen to operate in. So I don't have anything else, Dan, if you don't have anything, take us away. Yeah, well, what, one small thing that you brought up again that I wanted to hit on, especially since we're, we're short here, you said a lot of the boomers are are aging out of the trades, out of really everything. It's kind of interesting. That I, I Big picture, guys, there is a massive changing of the guard right now, and there's a massive opportunity because not just in the trades. You know, I, I mentioned I'm in Del Mar. I met with one of my buddies here, a friend of a friend, and his family, because his dad was the the broker first and now he's the broker, has been selling Del Mar real estate for like 40 years. And he was telling me how he's the only young guy. He's in his 30s. He's a millennial. All the other established brokers here and realtors, they're in their 50s plus, a lot of them 60s and 70s. And so there is a huge opportunity because None of the big names here are on social media or know how to use the computer, basically. And so that is illustrative of what I'm seeing all over the place. In Colorado Springs, it's often the same way, right? A lot of the established people are aging out. They've gotten lazy because they don't have to do anything because people just come to them because they know them for the last 30, 40 years. And so whether you're a realtor, a tradesman, whatever it might be, this is a common theme all over the country. And there is massive opportunity if you're willing to go and get really good at something just as mason and i are doing so i'll leave it at that if you have anything you want to add to that no i think that's perfect there's opportunity out there and go and find it and you guys know what to do reach out to us if you found this helpful or see an opportunity that you can make work with either of us but this is mason mcdonald and dan habercost with the big picture blueprint signing off And that's it for today's episode of The Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.